as we continue to worship this morning, as we continue to remember the name of Jesus, if you have a Bible, please turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. Some of you may think, why in the world are we looking at Colossians and we're continuing our series in Colossians on this day, on Easter? Because it's all about Jesus in Colossians chapter 1. And that's what this day is. It is about Jesus. So if you have a copy of God's Word, turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to read it for us two times. Colossians chapter 1 verse 15 down through verse 23. The first time I'm going to put some emphasis in it. So hopefully you will remember it. And the second time I'll just read it maybe with a little of emphasis. But as I read it, I want you to to count. I want you to see. I want you to, to experience this passage as Paul wrote it to the people at Colossae for them to be reminded of Jesus. For it is all about Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 and following. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him, Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him, Jesus, and for Him, Jesus. And He, Jesus, is before all things, and in Him, Jesus, all things are held together. And He, Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. He, Jesus, is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He, Jesus, might be preeminent. For in Him, Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him through Jesus to reconcile to himself to to Jesus all things whether on earth or in heaven making peace by the blood of his Jesus's cross and you you river bend who once were alienated who once were hostile in mind who once were doing evil deeds, He, Jesus, is now reconciled in His body, in Jesus' body of flesh, by His death, Jesus' death, in order to present you, River Bend, you, holy, blameless, above reproach, before Him, before Jesus. If indeed you, Continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. 
Colossians 1, 15, down through verse 23. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, He has now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. If indeed you continue in faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we bow before You. God, I ask that You would meet with us this morning. I pray that as we look at this passage, God, You would allow our eyes Not just physical, but spiritual eyes to be open. Not just physical ears, but spiritual ears to be open. To be able to hear you speak. Because it is all about you, Jesus. Father, you have brought us here this morning. It's no coincidence that we are looking at Colossians chapter 1. It's no coincidence that any individual is here because you have brought us here. Father, you rule and reign as we will see and try to explain just a little bit all of the universe. Father, would you rule and reign this In this room, would you rule and reign in the hearts of each and every single one of us in this room? Father, speak, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. If you look at this passage and you you understand what Paul is saying, looking at what Paul is is doing, what he's seeking to do. You need to to understand this about Paul. And it's it's true of pretty much every single letter that he writes. If you look at any of the letters that he writes, the 12 or 13 letters that he writes in the New Testament to the different churches, to the different individuals and the people that he writes to, the first half of his letters, he is almost always there and he is proclaiming a theological doctrine one after another after another. And it is deep. It is rich. You've got you've to take just a few moments to read it over and over again so that you can grasp what is going on. And then the latter half of these letters, of these epistles, he puts some practical application 
to the theological doctrines that he speaks of, that he writes of. As he writes to the people at Colossae, a uh, people that he has never seen before, he wants them to have a huge view of the Almighty, of the majestic, of their Savior and of their Lord. He wants them to understand who Jesus is. So he writes the words that I read. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created. And he goes through and some 15 times in those short 8 or 9 verses. He packs a powerful punch. And as I was reading it. I was studying for this. I believe that he unfolds who Jesus is in three main strokes. The first is this. You and I need to look at. And we need to see the position of Jesus and how it is displayed. The position of Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He is the image of the invisible God. Take just a second to let that sink in. What do you mean by that, Paul? Brian, how do you describe that? How do you explain that? Well, if any of us would take out our dumb phones, I mean our smartphones... And we would look at the screen, if you have one of those types of phones, and you would look at those screens, and on those screens, if you would just flip through them, I don't have mine up here, but if you would just flip through them, you'd probably see an app like Candy Crush, or you'd probably see an app like Flappy Bird if you had one of those, or you would have one of those things on your computer screen called Icons. And that's the word here, it's icon, the image. And what does it mean? That app that you look at or that icon of Microsoft Office or Microsoft Word and you look at it on the computer screen, what does it hold? It holds everything that Microsoft Word has right there in that icon. Everything in Candy Crush is right there in that icon, right there on that app. Everything that the glorious... That's a terrible name. That the game Flappy Bird has is right there on that ugly looking bird. That if you just tap it, the whole game comes up. If you just take your mouse and you click over there on the W on Microsoft Word, everything in Microsoft Word comes up. That is what Jesus is. He is the image of the invisible God. Before Jesus walked on the face of the earth, everybody was looking, what is God like? Who who is he like? How would he talk? What would he say in this situation? How would he deal with this problem? Jesus walked, and he is the image of the invisible God. And every time he spoke into a situation, every time that he was there and he took over that conversation, 
that issue, that struggle, that hurt, that pain, God spoke. He is the image of the invisible God. Not only is he the image of the invisible God, but you see that as Paul tries to get them to understand and tries to get them to see, he is the one who created all things. He created all things. All things were created through him, and all things were created for him. Now, most of us here this morning, when I stated that sentence that he created all things, we would say, sure, he did. There would not even be a, a second guess. For some of us, there would, but, but for most of us here, I, I must be honest, I, I know who I'm preaching to, all right? For the most part, you would say, yes, he is God. He is creator. But do you need to take just another glance at those words? Because in verse number 16, it ends with these words. All things were created through Him, and all things were created for Him. Jesus Christ created the universe. He created every star. He created every planet. He created every asteroid. He created the galaxy that we call home. It's called the Milky Way. He created all the other galaxies. He created everything. He created the person sitting beside you. He created the person that you call mother, that you call father, that you call husband, that you call wife, that you call son or daughter. He created everything. And the billions and trillions of things that I did not speak of, He created them as well. But the position that he holds also dictates the reason why he created those things. The reason why he created you. The reason why he created you. And you. And me. He did not create you. He did not create me. So that our ball team would win. He did not create you and he did not create me. So that our kids would think that we're cool and we would be their friend. He did not create you and he did not create me to work 147,000 hours in a seven day period. And grow a business. And expand your name. He did not create you and he did not create me. To go and do all the things that I like to do. Or that you like to do. He didn't create us to live 65 years in work and then retire and go from this place or that place. He didn't create you or he didn't create me to... Take part in the American dream? Do you see the reason why He created you? He created you for Him.
Let that sink in for a second. You, the sole reason you are able to do this is for Him. No other reason. He created all things. Through Him, all things were created. And for Him, you were created today. I know that hurts some of you. It hurts me. I like my team. I like my sport. I like my recliner at the house. But I am not created for any of those things. I am created as you are created for Him. And finally, we see in this position of His, we see that He is before all things. He is preeminent. Some have taken this verse and this passage and they have skewed it. They have taken it and they have said, hey, here is, here is what this means. This means that He was the first thing created. Meaning that there was a time before He was in existence and that is just not right. It means his position. His position is first place. His position is high and lifted up. The train of his robe filling the temple. That at every knee when it bows and every tongue when it confesses, it's confessing that he is king. And every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. Some will confess while they're alive and others will confess once they've taken their last breath. But every knee will bow and every tongue will confess and it is his position that he is first preeminent over all things and if that is the case and church it is the case you and I must praise him for his position but not only do we need to praise him for his position as Paul writes of it here in these verses but we also need to see the power of Jesus and it being exhibited throughout all things. His power is over every situation that you come into contact with. First, we see it by His creating everything, whether on, in heaven or on earth, whether visible or invisible. Jesus is above all things and He's over all things because He created all things. But not only that, You and I need to see this exhibited power. Because as Paul states it, he sustains all things. I seldom, if ever, you know, today is uh, Easter and this is our eighth Easter as a church. And I don't know that I've ever stood up and quoted another person's sermon let alone it be on Easter. But let me quote for you just a brief segment of a sermon that I heard. It was preached by a man by the name of Louis Giglio. Louis Giglio is a uh, pastor, he's a church planner and a pastor in in Atlanta, and uh, he started the Passion Movement. It's a uh, movement, a ministry of college students or young adults, and uh, it started a number of years ago, and, and this sermon was from a number of years ago, but uh, they were finishing up their tour Uh, out in Texas one year, and he finished preaching, and there was a gentleman that walked up to him, didn't know him, and introduced himself to him. He was a molecular biologist. That's hard for me to pronounce, but he was a molecular biologist, and he stood up there and started talking with Louis Giglio, and he said, so what's what's next? 
And he said, well, I'm going back to my church and I've got to preach a couple of sermons for my pastor. This time he was on staff at a church in Atlanta. And uh, he said, so what are you preaching on? He said, well, the pastor is in the midst of a series called The Glory of God in the Human Body. He said, wow, that's interesting. I'm a molecular biologist. And Giglio's, he'd be like me, I'd be like him. What's that mean about the glory of God in the human body? And he said, you have a left punch. He said, what are you talking about? He said, you need a left punch to, to bring it home, to bring these series or these messages home. And he said, I don't have a left punch. He said, you need to know about laminin. Exactly. Laminin. What in the world is laminin? Let me tell you the definition of laminin. It's L-A-M-I-N-I-N. You can Google it when you uh, get out of here. But laminin is this. Laminin, they're major proteins in the basal lamina. You all know where that is? It's one of the layers of the basement of membranes in all of your cells, in all of your organs, in every single one of our bodies. Laminin is a protein network, a foundation for most cells and organs. These laminins are an important and biologically active part of the basal lamina, influencing the cell, its differentiation amongst themselves, migration and adhesion, as well as survival. This molecular biologist went on to tell Louis Giglio, if you don't have laminin in you, you don't stand up. If you don't have laminin in you, you don't move. If you don't have laminin in you, you don't survive. And he said, you've got to see it. Remember, they're standing at a church kind of up front. And he said, all right, show it to me. He said, no, you've got to go see it. But when you go home and you Google it, here's what a diagram of it looks like. And when he got home and he Googled it and he saw that scientific diagram of how it's working, he just, wow. And here's what it actually looks like in your body through an electron microscope. What a picture that our Creator has given you and has given me looking through an electron microscope to see that even at its base formation, it is the cross that sustains you. Even at microscopic levels that you and I can't see with our naked eyes, it's the cross. Do you know what that demonstrates for us? It demonstrates this. That that financial struggle you're going through right now, the cross will bring you through it. That small, huge issue that you have with your spouse, you know, those little disagreements that everybody's yelling at the top of their lungs about, it's the cross. It's Christ that will bring you 
through that, that disease that is so raging in your body right now or in the friend's body that you know of, the mom, the dad, it is the cross that brings you and brings me through it. As you go to the job site, as you go to the house, as you come here, as you go wherever He takes you, it is Him and Him alone. Oh, the blood that Jesus shed for me. Oh, the spotless, perfect lamb who died for me. Grateful for the price that you paid for all to see. Oh, the blood. Salvation, reconciliation, peace was only made by the blood of His cross. People look at it and say, oh, the gore, oh, the, the messy. If there's no blood, there's no remission of sin. If there's no blood, if Jesus didn't die, if He didn't shed His blood for you, you're still in your sin. I'm still in my sin. And we, as Paul would say, are to be the most pitied. But he did die. Which brings me to a final stroke. Not just the position that he held or the power that he had, but you and I need to understand the purpose of his coming. And it's surveyed right here in this passage. As Paul continues to write, the reason, the purpose, the driving force of His coming to this earth almost 2,000 years ago was to reconcile you. He loves you. He loves you so much. And He saw that you needed a Savior. There's a, two aspects of being a Savior. Number one, you have to be able to do it. And He was. He created all things. Everything's under Him. He sustains all things. The only reason that you and I have breath is because He's there and He's allowing us to breathe. And so He is able to save, but then the second aspect of being a Savior is that He has to be willing to save. And Jesus Christ was not only able, but He was willing to come and save you. And how He saved you is that He reconciled you and placed you on the same spot and level we had fallen we had sinned and we had been marred from our descendants Adam and Eve and he brought us back to the same reconciliation and level of relationship with the father he came to save that was his task and that still is his task and he has completed that task the one thing that I want you to walk out of here this morning with is a reminder of that name. We say the name and we go about our day. Sometimes we say the name in some not so great ways. But we say the name Jesus. And as we say it, we don't think of how great He is. As we say it, we diminish Him. As we say it, we say it flippantly. But the purpose of His coming, the purpose of His coming was that He might be 
the head of the body, his church. The purpose of his coming was that he might rule and reign in your heart and in mine. Remember the names. The name is Jesus. The name is Master and Savior. The name is Lord. The name is Rose of Sharon, Lily of the Valley. The name is Jesus. It's all about Him. He loves you today. We're going to take a few moments and we're going to respond to the name of Jesus. We're going to sing a couple of songs that speak of the name of Jesus. As we continue to worship, I want you to know this. This time is not for anybody else. It is for you. It's not for us to be looking around and saying, man, that guy's holding his hand up or that that lady's holding her hand up. It's not about anyone except you. For you need to come to Jesus. He wants you to come back to Him. You've strayed. All we sheep have strayed. He wants you to come back to Him today. He wants you to come to Him for the first time today. Today is the day that He created. Today is the day that He desires for you and for me to come. The altar church is open for you. If you want me to pray with you, I'll pray with you. But the invitation is for you to respond. Heavenly Father, I bow before you. You are Almighty God. Father, you rule and reign in splendor. It is at your name. It is at your name that we sing praises for you alone are worthy. You are worthy because of the position that you hold. You are worthy because of the power that is displayed, that is exhibited. You are worthy because of the purpose in which you came. God, would you penetrate my heart, our hearts this morning. And may we be reminded of how great and majestic and holy you are. As we stand and as we sing, you respond. You respond and you obey the King of kings and the Lord of lords as we stand. Amen.